Thanks for listening to FYI Stillwater, where you will hear information about your local government you didn't know you need to know straight from the source. Be sure to check out other news and information from the city of Stillwater at stillwater.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Fletcher, Director of Marketing and Civic Engagement. Today is March 20th, 2019, and my co-host is Jasmine Siebert, Video Specialist for the City of Stillwater. How are you doing today, Jasmine? I'm doing really good. I'm glad that we're really coming into spring now. I'm seeing it that it's lighter when we drive into uh, the city. So who are we talking to today, Jasmine? Who's our guest? Today's guest is Stillwater Police Captain Kyle Gibbs, and he also serves as the city's police um, department public information officer. So welcome, Kyle. Good morning. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, Before we get started, we'd like to loosen up with a lightning round. We're going to ask you some random but revealing questions. Are you ready? I'm ready as I can never be. (laughs) What number coffee coffee is this? This your first one? I saw you walking in this morning. That is probably about number two and a half. Okay. What was the worst style choice you've ever made? Uh, Bell-bottom jeans and dingo boots. Uh, It's when I was in junior high. Bell-bottom. It was the early 70s. Yeah. And uh, it was the thing to do back then. Remember in seventh grade, I I remember the challenge was to find the biggest bell bottoms you could. Because you wanted to fit over your shoe. (laughs) I I guess so. Yeah. I I had some that were huge, and I was was as skinny as a rail back then. So looking back. That made it look even better, right? (laughs) Exactly. So looking back, it 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 just looked ridiculous. Yeah, that's hilarious. Do you have any pictures at home of that? I hope not. (laughs) Probably so, but I hope not. (laughs) All right. What makes the perfect hamburger? Oh, you have to you have to warm the onions and the lettuce and the uh, the vegetables. So you like raw warm onions? Yeah. Or like sautéed onions. I'm I'm kind of a take us to every layer. I consider myself a hamburger connoisseur, and I actually have a book, Hamburgers Across Across America, where this guy traveled America finding his 100, now 150, favorite burgers in America. Well, I used to live in Ada, Oklahoma, and there's a little drive-in there called Folgers Mm Drive-In. It's been in business since about 1947. The same two brothers run it. Uh, I, I think they probably inherited it from their dad, but... It's the ultimate hamburger because they take the meat, squeeze it out flat on the grill, kind of mm-hmm. get it crispy on the edges. But when they put all the chopped lettuce and onions and, and then put a tomato on it, it's all kind of warm. Uh-huh. You know, it has that greasy film all over it. It is. <laughs> this is. It's the hamburger to which I compare all others. Okay. As I travel around and try to hit all the burger joints in that book. So are the buns grilled? I mean, are they yes. cold? So, so this is like a really warm, like crispy. They yeah. actually butter the bun. They put it on the grill to to grill uh-huh. the inside. But somehow, I, I don't know, all the, it's just the, the grease floating in the air, it gets on the outside. It's just the whole thing. Oh, the grease just coats your tongue and you can't taste anything out. No. Are you, no. Oh, it's a, it's a, so it's, do you eat multiple patties? Because I feel like when they squish those down, I need a little bit more meat to bun ratio. So like... Or do you get a double? Well, if you go, like, to Freddy's, it's a very similar burger. Mm-hmm. They'll use two patties. Folgers uses one patty, one third-pound patty. Yeah. Anyway, it's pretty good. <coughs> Every time I go back to Ada, Oklahoma, I always have to stop into Folgers. And I know I've heard rumor they're trying to sell the place. Uh-huh. But, but it seats about 16 people comfortably. Right. I'm not hopeful. Yeah, see, I'm a joints. thin patty person myself. Oh, yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like, like when they're really, you know, thick. Yeah. 
it's like that's that to me is yeah yeah it's just too much so so anyway so a connoisseur yes i consider myself a connoisseur i have found another burger that's almost equal to folgers uh mirrors cafe down in southwest oklahoma i tried to go in there and they use longhorn beef and I'd always heard about it, so I was nearby. I stopped in there one time. Was there a line when you went? There was. Okay. It was probably a 30-minute wait. I went to, yeah. Anyway, and I thought, yeah, there's no way. But I, I got to say, the, they used the Longhorn beef. That's kind of their claim to yeah. fame. Um, it really does make a difference. And it, I didn't put it up above Folgers is my mm-hmm. number one, but it's equal to. Okay. It's pretty good. I have to put that on my list. <laughs> yeah. Since we went into hamburgers, let's swap to sandwiches. What is your favorite sandwich and why? Uh, the big Italian. Probably a, a hot Italian sandwich with pastrami, salami. Like um, and I, I really like McAllister's okay. with all the grilled vegetables that they mm-hmm. put on it. I just like it because it's so tangy. Big I like Italian. how he uh, knows like every sandwich shop, every <laughs> hamburger shop. That, if he said donut shop, that would be... <laughs> Yeah, we don't talk about that. That's a dark little <laughs> yeah. secret in the police world. We uh, we don't talk about that openly That's in public. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that was good to get to know you and learn a little bit of facts about you. So we know about the bell-bottom error. Yes. Now, I remember bell-bottoms. I think you had talked about the wide Yeah. You wanted the, bot- the bell-bottom to be longer than your shoe so that it would, like, yes. rest over the shoe. So so could you just buy those out oh, yeah. or were your parents making Yeah, just like you, you, yeah. okay. you know, like you go in now and look at jeans and you're looking at, at the skinny jeans. Uh, boot cut mm-hmm. or, or uh, slim leg and all mm-hmm. that. It was exactly the opposite with bell bottoms okay. because you would have just regular flared than the bell bottom, but then the elephant ear. Yeah. Some people because they the would have choice. the bell bottom would have an insert, so it could be a different color or pattern. So when you walked, oh. the the pattern would kind of jump out. It, it was very oh. groovy. I didn't even have any of those. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness I didn't know about that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Good stuff. I love learning about this stuff. I was learning about uh, dial-up internet yesterday. Oh. That was another interesting concept that I got some more facts on. Yeah, my daughter was change. trying to explain that to my son, what a dial-up was. He doesn't understand the concept of it, so it was pretty funny. It's funny. Kids when I lucky. give tours now, I was giving a, a Girl Scout tour to some daisies the other night. And we were talking about 911 stuff. Uh-huh. And I had to stop and explain. Well, I said something about a landline phone and how 911 maps. Yeah. Mm. And they were just staring at me. I had to go back and explain what I meant by a landline phone yeah. versus yeah. a cellular phone. Um, so we're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't bring up eight track tapes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Funny. Yeah. Eight tracks. That's a whole nother <laughs> technology there. Let's go ahead and jump into the interview. I'm kind of curious about your career path. So how did you become a police officer and and then bump into the PIO uh, realm of it? So what okay. was it for you? Well, it actually quite by accident. I got into law enforcement. Uh, I became a dispatcher back in 1983. Mm-hmm. I was going to school full time. Right. I needed a job where I could work evenings. And there was an opening at the local police department for a dispatcher. I had a friend who was a court clerk who kind of told me about it, recommended me. So I got that job as a a dispatcher. Uh, It was a lot different back then, but it was fascinating. Well, at Ada, when they had officer openings, they gave dispatcher first shot at them. Because there's a lot of training and information that overlaps. Right, I can see that. So they had an officer opening. I remember I started, I was making about $3.00. 
and twenty-five cents an hour as a dispatcher in 1983, being an officer paid twice as much. Right, that's a lot. That's a big jump too. To six fifty to six dollars and fifty cents an hour. Yeah, that was it was, and it was desperately needed. Yeah. So I applied. I got the job as an officer. I continued going to school full time. And worked there about two more years, and then I needed to come to OSU to finish my degree. Um, so I applied several different places up here, mm-hmm. and Stillwater PD hired me first. And then you, you move forward, kind of get sidetracked by life. And, right. Um, there just came a point when I decided I really, really enjoy law enforcement. My previous goal had been to be an engineer, oh, kind mm-hmm. of a muddy boots engineer, get a problem, solve the problem, go to the next problem. Well, police, law enforcement was very much like that. You get a call, you go work on it, solve it, go to the next call. Mm -hmm. Uh, So remember the test you used to take like in junior high, the interest test? Right. Okay, to see what you may want to do with your life. Mm -hmm. I always ranked very, very high in like mechanical reasoning and also uh, the 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 social mm-hmm. science part of it, right? And I always would dismiss the social science part. I thought I don't want to do that. I want to be an engineer, right? Well, <laughs> here we are. Lo and mm-hmm. behold, it all it all comes to pass. <coughs> so it's just that's that's how I got here uh, into law enforcement. I've been doing it thirty four years now, <clears throat> but as time has gone on, I very much like the public relations, the community aspect. Mm. Uh, uh, we work for the community. That's what we do. You know, I always kind of say, but it's my kids and my grandkids live in this community. That's who we're working for. Right. So that that keeps you engaged, and that's Mm -hmm. the really fulfilling part of it for me. Plus Uh, that problem-solving. Plus I get the problem-solving aspect. So anyway, um, it's always, you know, most – Every day is similar, but it's never the same. So mm-hmm. that keeps it very interesting, and that's that's how you stay engaged for right. 34 years. Mm. All right. That's uh, how I got to now. Yeah. Because I really wouldn't have put um, police as problem-solving. That would have been the first way I would have explained an officer job, but I really can see it mm-hmm. because yeah. cause it is a situation that you need to figure out the solution for, whatever it may be. Correct. Yeah. And I was going to ask why you stayed and why. So she asked how you got <clears> into <throat> it, and then I was wondering why you stayed, but I think it was because it just has been a good fit for you, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's hit all of those areas that you were kind of itching at as a you know a high school student filling out those interests. Right, and, and I'll be honest. I mean, <laughs> this, you, there, there came up. There was a point in my career, probably you know like most officers, that six, seven, eight year mark, mm-hmm. where you start suffering from the burnout. I remember when mm-hmm. I was investi- in investigations the first time, the camera went, I couldn't bear the thought of having to write another report. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was yeah. a forced march every day, and I remember going through a long struggle. Of, I've got to get over this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got to, I thought about, you know, let's, I'll put in for a transfer to another division, go back to patrol so I don't have to do mm-hmm. as many reports and so much documentation. Um, I thought, no, I've got to get over this first. And, there were, you know, there were other struggles. I had moved from five years of working white-collar crime, mm-hmm. where back then was mainly check forgery. A lot of stores and businesses lost money. Mm-hmm. But then I spent my last two years, I got transferred into crimes against persons, which in Stillwater, America, <laughs> meant you were working a lot of um, 
sexual assault cases, but mainly child abuse cases. Mm -hmm. And that was very much, that was very difficult for me emotionally because you were often dealing with a victim who couldn't tell you anything about what had happened. Mm -hmm. Imagine a two or three year old, you have enough physical, you have enough evidence to indicate an abuse has taken place, Mm -hmm. but they really can't describe anything to you. Now that was very, very much a challenge. Unlike the white collar, where I always had at least two witnesses, Mm -hmm. the owner of the check and the clerk that took the check. Mm -hmm. Um, So they they were easier cases to solve. But I felt a lot more pressure to solve the crimes against persons. As you can imagine, Mm -hmm. that's where we devote our resources. Mm -hmm. Those violent crimes are the number one priority for us. So does the police force see a lot of, is that a norm, the rotation, just because you do start to see the same things every day? Or were you just kind of a, you know, an outlier? In all, well, in all my career, that's, we've, the people and the officers in investigation tend to specialize. Mm-hmm. So when you get in, uh, like our, the guy that currently works white-collar crime has been working white-collar crime for over 20 years. Okay. He's very, very good at it. He is our resident expert, um, and it has evolved, as you can imagine, into credit card crime, mm-hmm. more embezzlement, more high-tech computer-based type stuff. Check forgery is kind of a rarity because mm-hmm. no one uses checks anymore. That's true. It does still yeah. happen, but not with the same... So white collar uh, crime would be just really high tech now. Yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. Again, there's a, a lot of computer based crime, mm-hmm. uh, fraud, you know, embezzlement. Thing, the embezzlements are kind of a, a staple. Mm-hmm. They've been around okay. a long time. Hmm. But then we have other people. But they get into a field, they get good at it, and stay there. I made that transfer back in the '80s uh, or the '90s because of a, a guy who had worked crimes against persons before me. He transferred back out to patrol. So as the longest tenured investigator at the time, I, I moved into his role. That's interesting to hear about how kind of that field has evolved because we've talked about some of the same things in marketing when mm-hmm. Sherry first got here like 10 years ago. You know, you were probably heavily in like a lot of print stuff and right. now how we're all in social media. And so that's kind of equivalent to, you know, the credit card stuff. It's all moving to Correct. online and technology. And the technology <coughs> moves faster than the law can stay up mm-hmm. in, in some cases. I'll give you an example. Uh, when the when the banking apps first started came come out where you could take a picture of a check, mm-hmm. somebody writes you a check, <coughs> where you get a paycheck. You can take a picture of it and using a banking app, you could deposit mm-hmm. that check using your phone. Um, that lent itself to fraud, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. where somebody mm-hmm. takes a check and tries to deposit it twice, or they get one that's already been deposited in your account, and I take it and try to deposit it into my account. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's fraudulent, and there was no law to specifically address that uh-huh. At the time, the technology became available. So the law had to catch up to, is that a crime? Right. Well, certainly at its base level, it is a fraud of some type. That is your intent. But then finding an applicable statute so that you can prosecute those, mm-hmm. they had to catch up. Wow. So that's, um, yeah, that it, it is rapidly evolving. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It really is. I'm glad to hear, though, that we're <coughs> keeping up in Stillwater PD as much as we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <coughs> So there's lots of information that we want to get out to the public, lots of public service announcements, uh, things 
again, kind of keep people abreast of what's going on, how to best protect themselves, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So we kind of have a laundry list of things that uh, we know that the PD would like to get out to the public. Uh, why don't we just start with uh, lock it or lose it? Yeah, uh, number one crime in Stillwater, uh, it has been probably for as long as I've worked here, yeah. is uh, larcenies or burglaries of vehicles. <laughs> Someone goes into a quiet neighborhood in the dark of night, walks the neighborhood, trying door handles. They're just looking for open, unlocked cars. Mm-hmm. And when they find one, they rummage through it and steal what they <coughs> want. Um, we have a huge amount of those every year. So it, it is the number one crime. And we did an experiment back in 2012. Actually, UCO did it. Mm-hmm. Their criminal justice program came up and did a study. They looked around Stillwater based on our stats and found four areas of town that seemed to be the hot spots where we had the highest number of crimes. When they identified those areas geographically, then we went through the process of public information Mm -hmm. where one, we're doing, uh, using the media to get the word out about lock your car up, just lock it, it prevents prevents those crimes. We, in addition to that, they would put signs in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. uh, to people to get the information that way. And then finally, our officers, as time was available, would drive those areas. They would look for unlocked yeah. cars. And if they found one, they would put a little a slip of paper on your car door to say, we found your car unlocked, you know, please lock it. Or if they found one that was locked, we had another color flyer they would put on the windshield mm-hmm. to indicate, hey, good job right. to, for that positive reinforcement. The goal of all that media information and doing all those things was to try and change people's behaviors. Right. So this went on for like three months, I believe. And then we went back and monitored the number of burglaries we had in that area uh, for a certain amount of time afterwards. And we saw like a 52% decrease in car burglaries in each of those four hotspot areas just by changing people's behavior. Mm -hmm. Lock your car door. That prevents... That prevents a great deal of those mm-hmm. crimes. Would this be mostly like in neighborhoods where the college students are living? Well, I remember one of the big hot spots. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. I think so. The two that I remember specifically, uh, all the big apartment complexes on North Perkins Road. Uh-huh. That was a big one. Um, and then over in, what I think it's university estates or mm-hmm. college gardens yeah. over that round uh, from University Avenue north up to Admiral. And then from about Redwood all the way down to Western, that neighborhood was also Mm -hmm. one of the the hot Mm -hmm. spots. I can't remember specifically where the other two were. But I said the number of larcenies went down, again, presumably because people started locking their car doors. I know when we look at the numbers and the reports that we take about how car larcenies from car take place, it's almost always an unlocked car door. Seldom, very, very seldom do, do people break into cars. Now, does it happen? Yes. But it's a, it's a minuscule amount of times. Because imagine mm. it's the middle of the night, you're in a quiet neighborhood, so you can check doors without mm-hmm. being seen. So the risk of breaking a, win- a car window and making that much noise, that's pretty risky. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it doesn't happen. I can't imagine somebody leaving their door unlocked. I. I, I really have a hard time with that because you just get out, you lock your door. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't ru- <coughs> routinely leave my car unlocked. 
Yeah. Okay. So you, you look at my experience. I grew up in a small town, a smaller town in yeah. southwest Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and started out as a child in the '60s. Well, growing up, I can remember, we never yeah, locked we our either. front door. Our garage door was always open, mm-hmm. and the door going into the house was unlocked. And we never locked our car doors. Yeah. We never had an issue. We, I don't remember us ever having anything stolen yeah. from our house. But that was, you know, and of course I graduated high school in 1980, moved away. And, mm-hmm. um, Different time and but place. It, but over time, and especially being in law enforcement, my behavior has changed yeah. because now I, I see things I was never exposed to right. as a child growing up. Yeah. In 1996, uh, we were having a big rash of car burglaries and garage burglaries mm. for a several-month period. Well, one night... We get a call. The guy had gotten up about 3 in the morning to get a drink of water, looks out his kitchen window and sees somebody mess around his neighbor's car. Fortunately, he called the police. Mm -hmm. So that was out off of Lakeview in a neighborhood. Anyway, he gives a good description of their vehicle, and officers contact him at one of the Conoco stations there at Lakeview and Washington. Two guys, pretty normal run-of-the-mill guys, had full-time good jobs and everything. Uh, but they were the two that had broken into that neighbor's car and some others and had stolen property in their possession. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, they were kind of thrill-seeker thieves. Oh, yeah? They would go to ladies' night at a local bar and and drink on Monday nights back then. And then when the bar closed, they would load up. And they would go in and start stealing stuff. And they were doing it for the thrill of doing it. Not because they needed the money. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we caught them and, and, and questioned them, they were very, very cooperative. That's they, funny. They told us everything they've been doing, exactly how they're doing it, and that's why we always saw this occurring on Tuesday mornings. Oh, that's um, interesting. So you get drunk and go steal stuff. They yeah. even loaded <laughs> up with us, with me and another detective, and drove us around town. We, we went around town, and they would take us through neighborhoods and go, okay, yeah, we went to that house, that house, that house. I remember that car. That's where we got the so-and-so. Yeah. But they would do that. They would find garage door <coughs> openers, and that was kind of an evolution. Started off just stuff out of the cars. But then because you're doing it for a thrill, yeah. get the garage door open, open the garage door, see if you can get away with it. Yeah. We cleared, I think it was like 82 burglary cases and larceny cases from those two guys that they had committed. They still had everything they had stolen. Because they they weren't getting rid of it. No, they weren't. They weren't, you know, they would, like if they took uh, CDs, Mm -hmm. they would use the CDs. Wow. But they would take take anything, just silly stuff. I remember there was a hockey stick and some hockey, you know, roller hockey skates, and it was just tools, lots and lots of tools and CDs. It was just ridiculous (laughs) stuff. Wow. Um, there was no rhyme or reason, mm-hmm. but except they took it for mm-hmm. the thrill of doing it. But you kind of wonder, like, at some point the the larceny was not going to be enough of a thrill, so what would have been the next step had they not I, been caught? I fear walking into someone's yeah. house and watching them sleep. Yeah. Because that happens. It's just... Yeah, that's why I keep your door locked. Yeah. It's the, the adrenaline rush of can you do it. That, that again, yeah. it's a rarity... But that does happen. That is a motivation for burglars. To, uh, so, yeah, you don't know yeah. how far it would have gone. Wow. 
That's scary stuff. Things you learn from the PIO. <laughs> things you, you learn too much. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Things you shouldn't know. Should yeah. be, I feel like the PD could have their own podcast about stories. Just oh, you know oh, it. Good. Um, yeah, that's stories. Anytime we get together for any kind of like social gathering, there's always just stories. Just talk shop. Yeah, it goes back years and years, you know, telling fun, mostly funny stories yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's move into uh, school bus safety. I know that that's a particular passion of yours, and we did have an incident recently. Uh, we did. Yeah. We had gone years without having any kind of uh, bus stop incident. Um, and, yeah, kind of going back to what you said, we in the late fall of 2018, as the school semester was ending for Christmas break, we had started seeing a lot of chatter on social media and getting some emails from a few citizens about seeing cars pass school bus while they had their loading lights on. And it was concerning enough, and we were seeing enough increase in chatter that we thought, okay, let's let's do something. So we kind of geared up as the police department to make a special emphasis on enforcing the, the school bus and we've done it in the past and you'll do it for a little while and you know then you start seeing less and less well so we geared up so starting with this new semester uh, we started putting extra officers at school buses uh, <coughs> or at bus stops to monitor for traffic passing right. now i'll be I'm, and we were pre- pretty diligent about trying to hit several stops in the morning as well as the afternoon again we talked to the bus drivers in the schools to mm-hmm. identify the areas they believed were the worst, and with the exception of one place, actually two, it was the places we had the most problems were typically on four-lane highways, way up on North Washington, uh, mm-hmm. like in the area by right. the links, and out on East 6th uh, near Highland Park School. Right. Those, both of those problems, those areas were problematic. And then Jardot between 6th and McElroy, which is also mm-hmm. a, an undivided four-lane road. So what happens, the, the, the bus stops on one side of the road and cars going in the opposite direction would just go past the bus. Yeah. Almost like, well, I'm not in the same lane going the same direction. I'm not behind the bus, so I don't have to stop. Yeah. But everyone has to stop. If you see a, a stopped bus with its red flashing lights on and its uh, stop sign out, you have to stop. You cannot pass it if you're on the same road and that applies to every place in Stillwater there are no exceptions uh, if you look at the law there is an exception for if you're on the same road it's a divided four lane or a divided highway mm-hmm. the only place we have that in Stillwater is way out on west 6th <coughs> west of Sanger but there's no bus stops out there right therefore that's why I say it that exception doesn't apply anywhere in Stillwater you Everywhere bus stops in Stillwater, a school bus, and I need mm-hmm. to clarify that, you have to stop if those loading lights are on. A lot of people don't expect the child to be crossing the four-lane, mm-hmm. you know, from, from where they get out on the bus on one side and cross to the other side of the street. So that's what they're not expecting. But you're right, they need to stop and just wait. Uh, oddly enough, another big problem here was 9th Street between Duck and Western. Uh, which is yeah. only a two-lane, and it's a 30-mile-an-hour speed limit all the way down through there. But there were a lot of cars passing the buses as it stopped along 9th Street. And I don't yeah. know if that's because they were in a hurry in the morning. Yeah. I, I don't know, but that was yeah. another problem area that we worked pretty hard. So, Kyle, are, is there any other public service announcement you would like to discuss um, that 
you have a particular interest in or you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Hmm. Let's see what else is going on right now in our world. Um, nothing specific. I, there's a lot of things going on in mm-hmm. my job. I mean, things that are happening like in, in, internal logistical things. I don't know uh-huh. if there's really a, a public awareness aspect to that. Uh, for instance, we have four new officers that will be starting right. here later this month. We also have a new dispatcher that will be starting mm. later this month. Um, so, so, uh, so to recruit new officers and to, to find someone that's a good fit for Stillwater, what all does that involve and how do you find officers and what makes a good recruit? Wow. Okay. A lot of questions there. <laughs> that is a huge, that's a whole podcast. That's a whole podcast. So we can do that. Well, this ends part one of our interview with Kyle Gibbs. Be sure to look for part two. Jasmine, let's go to the mailbox. Uh, the city receives questions, you know, in a lot of different formats, email, social media, even phone calls. <coughs> this week's question comes from Crystal on Facebook. And what she's wanting to know is when is the citywide dump for curbside pickup? I have some old furniture I want to toss out and it's not sellable. How do I get rid of it? So Crystal and everyone else in the city of Stillwater, um, what the city offers for bulk pickup is that um, it actually does a pickup service for an additional fee. And if you need to get rid of furniture or appliances or electronics and would wa- and you want them picked up, you're going to need to call the number 405 742 8245 and they can arrange um, a curbside pickup for you more information on that is on our city website under um, utility and billing services go to trash and recycling residential and you'll see some more information on that um, topic and that's another one of the things that we kind of try to push out um, one of our regular messages because people do come from all different cities when they Mm -hmm. end up in Stillwater and all different cities have different um, you know big trash bulk days so that's that's a good question Crystal thank you now we do have a a household pickup that you can clean out your house once a year and um, so call and ask about that too Uh, there may be some fees involved but mostly uh, you can have like a large uh, you can exceed your number of bags and and stuff whenever you do that and when you say exceed number of bags we'll also add if you have things that can fit in blue bags yeah we offer the blue trash bags they're for sale at the convenience collection center which is on Perkins Road and they're also for sale on queues so You can fill those up and set them next to your um, trash can on your regular trash pickup day, and they'll pick as many of those blue bags up as possible. Great question. Thanks, everyone, for listening to FYI Stillwater. Tune in for our next podcast. If you have a question for City Hall, email news at stillwater.org, and in the next podcast, we'll answer a few of them. FYI Stillwater is available on our website at stillwater.org, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you enjoy your podcast.